Welcome to Luke 21 Radio, a broadcast explaining biblical prophecy in the tradition of St. Augustine. And now, from Greenville, South Carolina, here's your host, Steve Wood. Hello, this is Steve Wood, and welcome to Luke 21. Been excited about this broadcast because today we're going to be tackling a real source of contention and division and disputes in understanding biblical prophecy, and that pertains to the scope of God's land promises, the promises to the Holy Land that he made in the Old Testament. But I'd like to expand that, not just God's land promises in the Old Testament, but as we look in biblical prophecies, we look to the future, what might be in store regarding those land promises. So we know God made promises to Abraham and his descendants, to ancient Israel. And the rapture folks are very reluctant to let go or uh, deny the land promises that were made by God to Israel. Uh, A lot of those who might have a similar perspective on biblical prophecy than I've, what I've been trying to offer you here in Luke 21, uh, might discount the land promises, and you're not going to get very far with a rapture at any moment, folk, because they'll just simply read the scriptures, and to their credit, they hold on to them. So what I'm going to be trying to do today is show how the land promises can be held but put them in a little bit wider and bigger picture that God has in store. So last episode, I ended with Ezekiel chapter 36, and there were land promises in Ezekiel 36, multiple. And many of those who are advocating the perspective of a present-day millennium that I've been advocating will say, well, all that's the return of the Jews from Babylonian captivity. And that's true in part. That was the immediate historical context. But that wasn't the limit of Ezekiel 36, because we saw intertwined with those land promises were promises of an outpouring of the Holy Spirit, promises of a new heart, and promises of an inward ability to keep God's command. In other words, those are new covenant promises, and that was in the future from Ezekiel's time. So limiting Ezekiel 36 to some historical moment when the Jews returned from their Babylonian captivity in the Old Testament era, it would be wrong to limit Ezekiel 36 to that. You can't do it. Now you say, well, you just pulled a a chapter out of the hat, so to speak. You know, that's just an anomaly. Well, it's not so. Listen to Ezekiel chapter 11, starting in verse 17. Thus says the Lord God, I will gather you from the peoples and assemble you out of the countries where you have been scattered. This is obviously a restoration. But here's the point. The restoration, so to speak, even up through the ministry of Jesus, was ongoing. It didn't result in what the Jews were expecting when they came back from Babylon, because this is what God says. I will give you the land of Israel, and when they come here, they will remove from it all its detestable things. And I will give them one heart, 
and put a new spirit within them. I will take out the stony heart of their flesh and give them a heart of flesh, and that they may walk in my statutes and keep my ordinances. These are new covenant promises. So the land promises don't extinguish in the new covenant. Now, if you want to get through, there's a lot of fog here. I'm going to make this so simple that I'm just trying to cons- uh, consolidate hours of research I've made, I've completed in studying Ezekiel. How do these concrete land promises that aren't extinguished with the return from a Babylonian captivity, how do they fit into the big picture? And it comes down to this. Do the land promises have a single focus, namely the Holy Land, what we call Palestine or ancient Israel or modern Israel? Are the land promises simply a focus on Israel? Then that's it. Or do the land promises have a triple focus? Triple focus. And I'm advocating a triple focus, okay? And to do that, before we go forward, we go back. And you remember, that's why a lot of people skip Genesis when we were uh, studying biblical prophecy together. And let me tell you what a mistake that is, because uh, Jesus reveals himself, as we're going to see in Revelation 22, when it's all wound up. I am the alpha, I'm the beginning, and the omega, the end. And the end is revealed in the beginning. So in the very beginning, what distinguished the Garden of Eden from every other location on earth? And we read in Genesis 3 that God had his presence in the garden, Genesis 3.8. And by God's holy presence, it became God's holy Eden. It became God's holy land. And if you move forward, see, we're, I'm trying to build this triple perspective. What we talk about when we think of Jerusalem in the Old Testament, we try so often to isolate it from the wider picture of biblical revelation. And so the same question that I asked of Eden could be asked of Jerusalem or the nation Israel because the heart of Israel was Jerusalem and the heart of Jerusalem, of course, was the temple. But what distinguished then Jerusalem from every other location on earth? It's the same answer as the Garden of Eden. God's holy presence in the Holy of Holies in the temple made this the Holy Land. Otherwise, if God's presence wasn't there, it would just be a religious building, and pagan nations all around the world had uh, religious buildings, but that didn't make them a holy land because the holy God's presence was there. Now we're going to look at two prophecies, one from Ezekiel and one from Isaiah. Ezekiel 36 and verse 35 It says, and this land that was desolate, okay? In other words, God had judged and basically destroyed all that the Jews had built up in Israel due to the Babylonian conquest. This land that was desolate will become like the Garden of Eden. What? Why? Well, in other words, God's purpose for the land. This is from Ezekiel 36, 
That's had the land promises, the new covenant promises, remember, all intertwined with the historical applicable prophecy about a restoration to the land, but the land will become like the Garden of Eden. Now, when the Jews came back to Israel, it wasn't like the Garden of Eden. So this prophecy didn't have a single focus on ancient Israel. It had a triple focus, the Garden of Eden, looking forward to a grand restoration, the land that we know as Israel, the intermediate stage, would become a holy land like the Garden of Eden. In Isaiah 51 and verse 3, and again, this prophecy has both immediate to the generation coming back from Babylon as well as to a future time. It says, for the Lord will comfort Zion, for he will comfort all her waste places and will make her wildernesses like Eden and her desert like the garden of the Lord. In other words, God had a plan. And the original plan was that the Garden of Eden, one of the reasons it became that special place, it had the the river of life, the the life-giving waters are going through it. And Genesis 2, verse 10 says, a river flowed out of Eden and went in four directions. When you see something going in four directions, that's like we would say north, south, east, and west, the whole globe. The idea was God's holy presence in Eden would expand. Uh, Yes, uh, it would go and go and go until it compassed the world. Now, that didn't work out because Adam and Eve kind of messed things up, so it didn't go worldwide. So God called Abraham, and this is the big restoration project. So it's the same initial vision for the land, the land being the whole world, that God then centered into the land of Israel. And that was only the mid-stage. And it's not like we're denying the mid-stage, but God wants to take the mid-stage, what he wanted to do with Israel, and they kind of messed things up just like Adam and Eve did. But his purpose was to go to the whole world. And so Jesus came, and he's, he's restoring God's original plan. He didn't ditch the idea of what he had in Eden. Oh, Satan won and Adam and Eve messed up everything and we're never going to have anything. No. You turn to the last two chapters of the Bible and then you find, I saw a new heaven and a new earth. First earth, first heaven passed away. But then I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down of heaven from God. Now, what's What's the new Jerusalem? What's so special about that? Verse 3 of Revelation 21. I heard a loud voice uh, in Greek, mega. This is like the megaphone, the loud voice. Don't miss this. Behold, the dwelling of God is with men. He will dwell with them. This is what God wanted in the Garden of Eden until he kicked Adam and Eve out. God's presence, God's holy presence with people made the Garden of Eden that special sanctuary. That's what made the Old Testament Israel's temple a holy sanctuary. And now the whole globe becomes that sanctuary. It's Eden restored and expanded in a worldwide dimension. 
And then you read Revelation 22. This is closing off the Bible. Then he showed me the river of the water of life. This goes right back to Genesis 2.10. Just like the river going out of Eden and then splitting into four directions to cover the globe, he showed me the river of water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God through the middle of the city, and on either side of the river, the tree of life. When did we read about the tree of life? Genesis! This is the temple in Eden, so to speak, the holy sanctuary of Eden, God's special presence. Same thing which went on the Holy of Holies in Jerusalem, and now the New Jerusalem. And how does Jesus sign things off? A few verses before you get to the end of the entire Bible. Revelation 22, 13. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. Remember when we went through Genesis, protology, the study of first things in Genesis, is your key for understanding eschatology, the last things. And the last of the last things, when we get to the last two chapters of Revelation, it's Eden restored on a worldwide basis. And so God isn't somehow forgetting about or denying or nullifying the great promises he made for the Holy Land to Abraham and his descendants. No, when the disciples asked Jesus, are you going to restore the kingdom to Israel? He said, well, yes, but it's going to be a way far bigger than you ever imagined. It's going to get beyond the borders of Palestine, go into all the world, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth, because that's where the kingdom resides. There's more to this Join us next time, but for now, I'm Steve Wood, your host, and you've been listening to episode 334 of Luke 21. Luke 21 is a radio outreach of Family Life Center International, visit us online at luke21.com.